Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Why, hello there. It's your old pal, Sarah Silverman, and I'm back with a brand new season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast. On my podcast, I am talking about uh, everything politics. Yeah, we get into it. Favorite sandwich shop in L.A.? I know a few spots, and I'm going to tell you about them. I'm also going to be talking to you. I will be reacting and responding to listener voicemails in real time. Let me tell you, things can get weird, and I love every second of it. Weird is my comfort zone. The newest season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. Hello, kids. We are back for another episode of Raised by Ricky. I, of course, am Ricky Lake. And it's your boy, Kaylin Allen. Mm. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> And Kaylin, mm-hmm. you crack me up. You are one of the funniest people I know. Do you consider yourself a comedian? No. It is so funny you say that because people ask me this all the time. And I consider myself to be a comedic entertainer. I know how to perform comedy. Now, in a world, do I believe that I could practice and figure out how to do stand-up? Yes. But if I did stand up, all my funniest like stand up style jokes are always inappropriate. Really? Like there are a lot of times that I come up with jokes and I'd be like, damn, I'm never seeing heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have conversations with my husband that actually just stay. Exactly. In house, you know? Right. Like, yeah. Are you good at improv? Yes. Very much so. I'm terrible. At improv. Really? Yeah. I'm not good if I have to, if I have to be funny, mm-hmm. you know, I can tell stories and I can, can be funny, but that is a different kind of skill set. Mm-hmm. I guess on my show, I used to be like, it was all quick on my feet, but it wasn't to be funny. Mm-hmm. It was to tell mm-hmm. a story. It was to bring on drama. It was, you know, it was different than improv, improv. I used to be like in the late eighties when I, very mm-hmm. late eighties, when I moved to California mm-hmm. for the first time, I became a groundling groupie. Do you know the groundlings? Mm-mm. It's an improv group. It's they have a theater on Melrose, and I mean, Kristen Wiig, Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. Sherry O'Terry, Paul mm-hmm. Rubens, um, you name it. Like like all the best of the best. Are you googling yep. them right now? But yeah, are you impressed with that list of people? I that am. Out of there? Who impresses you? I mean, Kristen Wiig. Come on. Oh yeah, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, like icon. Rachel Harris, Cheryl Hines. I mean, there's the list of women. Lisa Kudrow. Mm. And I used to sit in the theater and just like uh-huh. be a wannabe. Uh-huh. That makes me think of second stage too. It's a similar thing. There's also UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, okay. which, you know, Rachel Bloom, who, yes. I don't know. Do you know yes. Rachel Bloom? Yes. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm obsessed with her. Really? I'm obsessed. I'm a, I, 
I think she is so ta- that show specifically that Crazy Ex Girlfriend uh-huh. is my favorite television show of all time. Have you ever met her? I did an episode of it. Oh. I sang with Amber Riley. Oh, I know Amber. We played Dream Ghosts, like kind of like Dream Girls. You're gonna find it. It was it was magic. I loved every minute of it, and that that show is really brilliant. You, I think also I think when it comes to comedy, I think for me personally, the people that I regard or like the physical comedic actors, like the Eddie Murphys. I talk about this all the time. Jim Carrey should have won an Oscar for The Grinch. That is one no, of the most... And for Mask yes, and for like, everything I'm like, he's done. Yeah. These are spectacular performances that I feel like... I love them yes, too. Um, Jim Carrey, I, I think raven Simone deserves so much more credit for her for really? her comedic chops. So, okay, what work are you talking about? Like That's a Raven, Disney okay. Channel. I it was I was a little too old for that. Yeah. So I never got into that, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, I mean, that's some incredible work. Yeah, there's certain people that are so good with timing, mm-hmm. like can just uh, deliver mm-hmm. and deliver. Well, and and that's why I always say comedic entertainer because that's what I get. I know timing because comedy is all about rhythm. If you don't have mm-hmm. rhythm, it doesn't work. Syntax and diction mm-hmm. also matter when it comes to a joke of being able to land a punchline. A lot of people yeah. don't understand that. Now, we, you and I may not be stand-up comedians per se, mm-hmm. but today we're talking with basically a legend, one of my favorites mm-hmm. from stage and screen, Margaret yes. Cho. I've known her kind of like, not well, but I feel like we're friends, you know, I've known her for a little while, but I'm so excited to talk to her. Are I you? am. You know, I actually worked with Margaret once on a panel at Netflix when I lived in Los Angeles. Well, I, we're going to talk with her. We have questions about her time as a sex worker, and we want to talk to her about some of the sexier Ricky Lake shows. Does that sound good? Big power sound good to me. All right. I, I hear... Caitlin, do you hear that? I do hear something. Hi! Hi! It's Margaret yes. Show! It's, and wait, who's Yay. with you? This is Lucia. Oh, hello, Lucia. Lucia Caterina. Oh, my goodness. Lucia. Thank you both oh, for joining us goodness. today. So cute. Very happy to have you. Thank you. Margaret Cho, I've loved you. I've known you for a long, long, long time. Yes. Like both, both personally a little and professionally. We've worked together indirectly, like Masked Singer and crazy stuff. But you, mm-hmm. I also want to take this opportunity to make a public apology to you. Why? <laughs> because you were on my last, not the original talk show. I don't think you were ever on the OG Ricky Lake show, but mm-hmm. you were on my last talk show that only ran for one year. Do you recall? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. Do you have any recollection of, of me and my, maybe my hosting skills or that lack thereof on that day? No, you're amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're an icon and... I have loved you for so long, so I don't know exactly okay. what you're getting so I'm at, not even but. fishing for compliments, but thank you. But, it, okay, so let me explain. Let me paint the picture. So I went back to do a second talk show because, you know, I felt like I'd evolved and they came to me with, you know, wanting me to go back on the air. And I made this decision with this specific company to do more mm-hmm. of like a like a Phil Donahue type of show. That I wanted my provocative, elevated content for people. You know, I just, after making my documentaries, I wanted to focus more on like real, like impactful, hopefully, and not like meaningful. Not a meaningless hour. Anyway, cut to, I get in bed with this company that assures me that's what they want to do too. We were not a good fit. I was miserable. And I started medicating on that job at the very end of the season when I knew the show was being canceled. I started 
using cannabis, which is not something other than, I guess I use it in this podcast and this job, but I, I was not prone to using cannabis during the work hours. Mm -hmm. And it just got harder and harder at the end of this thing. And maybe I'm telling too long-winded of a story of this, but I just remember having you on the show, someone I really admire and look up to. And I wasn't even present. Like I couldn't even, I feel like I was like, bah, 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 oh, on the couch no. with you. It was so awful. And I, I just, always, I just felt like you must've thought to yourself, what a fucking quack. And uh, anyway, so I apologize for being unprofessional oh in that moment. You know what? I've done so many drugs. I don't even have that memory in my hard drive. Good. Like that was deleted so long. I have no idea. I mean, I don't even like, I mean, I really have uh, brain damage from drug use, not just cannabis, all sorts. Yeah, I do so, too. I do too. My my uh, brain is damaged from the use of Ambien over the years. I don't know. what. Oh, yeah. yeah. I ate a whole banana cream pie on Ambien. I've, I've like really eaten a lot of uh, Marie Callender's inventory. Yeah. Both uh, hot and cold pies. Ambien and Marie Callender should do a collab. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I actually once I, on that drug with a little, little alcohol, I, I signed up to eHarmony while I had a boyfriend oh. and didn't even know what I was doing. I mean, it was one of those things, you know, if you, first of all, I'm Jewish. So the eHarmony, you know, that is not a, that is not the right outlet for me to look for love, particularly while I'm in a relationship. And I filled out that extensive, it's like an hour long profile. And I didn't remember it. The next day I had no idea. And the boyfriend at the time found it on my computer, like in a, in a shortcut, the eHarmony, like I kept getting matches, matches, matches. I thought it was spam. No, I'd signed up to this thing. I went back and look at, looked at my profile. I had filled out, yes, my favorite book is The Kite Runner. You know, like I just did, did the whole thing. Girl, and I tried to adopt a child. <laughs> Adopt a child? Girl, I was... You think that's bad. Um, I signed up to, like, some Christian adoption aid. Like, I was like... You win. You win. You win. Who did this? It's so strange, that drug. I can't use any kind of sleep anything. Because I love... I love any kind of sleep drug. So that's actually one of my... Basically, bottom lines is I cannot do any kind of mm. sleep drug. I'm a gummy girl. I'm a I'm a Ooh, cannabis yeah. gummy every night, all night. It's yeah, good. I love good it every day. Cannabis is good every day. I also grow weed too. I, I become yeah. a cannabis like connoisseur. Connoisseur. I don't know if I'm a connoisseur, but I'm definitely like a a daily user. I'm an advocate. Mm -hmm. I made a documentary about it. But like back when I did my show, back in, when I was, you know, your age, Kaylin. Kaylin is 26, by the way, mm -hmm. Margaret. Child. He didn't grow up with the Ricky Lake show, but he's definitely like taking the cliff note version on this job. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I was, I was the Nancy Reagan, like disciple, just say no to drugs. Like I was fear filled. Mm -hmm. I was very judgmental. It freaked me out. And then, uh. Yeah, and then I I've evolved, and you know, cannabis. I'm I'm a huge. I just I just love that medicine, and it's helped me with my sleep yeah. and my time with my husband. It's 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 amazing. Anyway, let's talk about sex workers. Yes, let's talk about because on my old show, and you talked about me in some of your routines with my show. Do you mm -hmm. remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So you are a fan of the Ricky Lake show. You watched it. I loved it. I love. I mean, I love Ricky just because I think that we uh, were really outspoken in the 90s. We were um, the few women out there who had body, 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 body. We had curves. We had opinions. 
Mm-hmm. And I really always felt very connected with you. And of course, there's also the Chicago connection with all the, the funny people like from the Real Brady Bunch and the Unoyance Theater. Yep. So we had a connection there. Uh, but also, I mean, I've just have been a fan for so long. So, yes, I watched the show and everything, everything. Do you remember how we used to portray, you know, sex workers, prostitution? We, we did a number of those shows back then. Well, it was more like I think sex work has always been portrayed as something that people would participate in not necessarily by choice, that mm-hmm. most of the focus was on survival sex work or sex work that you would do because there were no other options. Whereas my experience with sex work, I did a phone sex when I was a teenager, which was really hard. It's hard to keep somebody on the phone until they nut. Mm. And you got to keep talking. How long would it take? I mean, what on average? Well, I was never good at it. So they moved me to a recorded phone sex so that I would be um, recording these like scripts. Mm, right. And where were you living at this time? San Francisco. Okay, so you're living in San Francisco. And what was your initial reaction to the job? I really enjoyed it because it was, um, it really taught me how to do ADR. Mm. Taught me how to work in a recording studio. It was my first experience in a recording studio. So from then, I've gotten a lot of um, voiceover jobs. I mean, to this day, I am still uh, doing a lot of jobs in animation. And because of my experience doing that, like I learned how to sync sound, to modulate my voice, uh, to podcast even. So you learn how to speak. So I don't have a negative thought about it. But it was definitely uh, sex work. Did you feel empowered in any way or did you feel objectified? Um, no, I, because it was not really about anything except talking. Mm-hmm. You know, I just felt like a channel for this kind mm-hmm. of energy because I would walk past all the girls talking on the phone because there was a huge office and they would all have these cubicles and they'd be talking to guys, trying to get them to stay on the phone as long as possible. Every um, cubicle, there was something different going on. There was one girl like slapping her hand in one cubicle and there was another one screaming and everybody had a different like sort of brand. What was your specialty? Yeah, what was it? Mine was um, English as a second language (laughs) as uh, sex talk. So I would use very simple structures of sentences like noun, verb. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Sentences. That were really just like for people learning English, just getting started in this language. Wow. That is so interesting to me. Yes. I would think the office was pretty chaotic yes. to be able to be on the phone. And then you got all these different noises and, and sounds happening. Yes. So very chaotic. But then at the end of the hall, they had uh, the recording studio. So that's where I would sit and I would just do these things about my name is Mandy. I have blonde hair. My eyes are blue. My breasts are 36 double D. So you had to play like a white woman. I was always white. (gasps) Wow. Always white. Because if you're learning English, I guess the emissary should be sort of blonde hair, blue eyed white woman. Mm. Yes. (laughs) You weren't in high school. You'd already finished high school at this point. I had dropped out. So I dropped out about 16. So I was probably like 16, 17. I was definitely not old enough to be there. But since it was not actually talking to anybody, um, and it was sort of all under the table, 
I don't know exactly if it was illegal or not. I'm not sure because at that time we didn't have those sorts of thoughts about, oh, is this illegal? Because it wasn't actual contact with anybody. Margaret, this is a movie and I want no, it. I know it really right. is. Did your mom know? My mom did not know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, when I told her about it later, she didn't really understand. So, oh, so then you English teacher. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. English teacher. Okay. Wow. With with some specialties. Yes, some specialties. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few, and of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrush are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk about your advocacy work because you have been an advocate forever of sex positivity and the LGBTQIA plus and their rights. Mm -hmm. How did you first get into it? When I was also working at that job, the other job that I got after that was making leather dildos at a store called Stormy Leather, which was a BDSM collective. Um, it was a business that was catering to leather women in San Francisco because we had a very like long established leather man businesses. They didn't have one for women. Leather society has always been a big part of dyke culture yes. in San Francisco and all over the world. Their retail store opened, so I helped them out. Wow. So that was your start. And so when you started to have, you know, fame and get a name for yourself and you were out there, that's, that was, this was the obvious issue you wanted to talk about. Yes, because sex positivity was always something that was really important to me. I think because also my parents had a gay bookstore in San Francisco in the 70s. So... You know, we lived through the first pandemic, which for us was AIDS. Mm -hmm. Yes. So when um, the queer community were still looking to feel bold sexually, and we didn't really know how to do that. Um, you know, you want sex to still feel like exciting and fun. And, you know, at that time, this idea of safe sex was so pervasive and um, there was so much fear around that. That we, how do we keep sex intense and alive for mm. us? So the BDSM community really flourished because it was a way to keep sex in a kind of uh, exciting space without necessarily fluid bonding, without necessarily sort of endangering yourself uh, to HIV or AIDS. It was really about finding a way to engage that was 
all about the mental sort of like stimulation of it and creating a lifestyle around sex that was safe, but also emotionally and uh, physically exciting. Mm, wow. I've never heard that perspective. Yeah. Sex can be very exciting, but when you're dealing with something that's a deadly disease, how do you get that escape that sex should give us when it's really alive and mm -hmm. thrilling? Sex should feel, uh, I don't know, like, like a dangerous thing, but not actually be mm -hmm. dangerous. Right. And so BDSM was the perfect avenue for that. Wow. I mean, do you think like with the pandemic of late, you know, I mean, we all had to sort of shut down and change the way we we got close to people, right? Do you think it was similarities? Yes, for sure. I mean, AIDS had a long sort of a gestation period and like we, we really couldn't figure out what was going on. We had so much misinformation, you know, and so much denial of its even existence. So there was more of a long-term effect of that. But I think with um, COVID-19, there's a sense of like, how do we connect without endangering ourselves? So people hop, hot, 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 hot FaceTimes, hot Zooms, you know, you had this sort of sense of connecting through thoughts, through um, technology that I think was really meaningful. So there was some similarity, but gay people do it better always. Gay people always do everything better. We just, we're just better. Exactly. Well, I also think uh, the difference from the two is that when the AIDS and HIV epidemic happened, that was specifically targeting a part of the world that people wanted out of here anyway, you know, that and which right. is what led right. to a lot of the denial and not accepting it because they were like, this is this is from God. He's getting rid of all these people, right. blah, 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 blah. While COVID is something that affected everybody, you know, and anybody can. And mm -hmm. we knew that even though HIV is something that anybody can get, it does primarily affect, you know, the queer community the most. But I do think that we were mm -hmm. teetering on the line of almost experiencing it again. In when monkey with pox monkey pox i was just, was, was yep. introduced right. because and when monkey pox became first a thing especially here in new york it was only a surrounded by gay men it right. was like this is a gay disease and we saw ourselves about to really get into a very dangerous territory of reliving what that was like exactly it's just people just want to hate gay people they they just want to find excuses mm -hmm. and it's, you know, something that we've had to fight for so long. It's so it frustrating. Is, it is. I mean, that's one of the things looking back on the old show. It's like we really did show gay people and gay relationships like any other, you know, and I mm -hmm. think that was helpful mm -hmm. at the time. You know, we're in doing this show, we're connecting with people that were personally impacted by you know, growing up in the middle of nowhere, not seeing anyone in their towns that look like them, that talk like them, and yet they can turn on the show after school every day and see someone yeah. that definitely looks familiar, you know? Yeah, which is such a great thing about the show is that, you know, people were like able to feel like they existed by seeing examples of themselves, which is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Would you say you... You could say that for yourself. Do you think you watched the show and saw people that reminded you of you? Absolutely. Because you brought in the hag. <laughs> you were like bringing hags into like, you know, the girls that hang out with gay oh, men. Oh, 
Okay, the hag yeah. experience, like for me, hag is sort of a negative uh, word to, but I love that because I refer yes, to myself as a yes, hag. I'm a hag. I was born a hag. At 18, I became an honorary hag in Hairspray with my crew. <laughs> right. You were actually like knighted <laughs> by the hag meister, John Waters. Like that was like the the ultimate honors to be given that title by mm. by Waters. You know, that's incredible. It, it's where hags really sh- shined was in your show. Okay, so you, you've surrounded yourself all your life with gay men. I started being involved with gay men when I was 14, but I stopped trying to have sex with them by the time I was 18. <laughs> I caught on. My advice for every other f-ing hag up there is, you need- Again with the words! But it's, it's a descriptive. Okay. It's the only word we have. No, there's fruit, well, fly. fruit fly. Fruit fly. Do you find I, I that offensive? Fruit fly. Fruit, fruit fly. Or oh, I like yeah. queen of the queens. Yeah, I kind of like that one. You had experience and, uh, you know, seeing us, like seeing us. And so you were bringing them on to the show. It's just like, we're here. It's so exciting. When it comes to your background and these, these different careers that you have experienced, how has it influence your comedy how did you find the connection from the life that you were living and finding a way to break into the industry well as like a comedian i started in aids fundraising in the late 80s early 90s i remember ian mckellen had just come out and so we were doing big benefits for him and he was coming out and raising money for aids and so i would be there and he would be there and like we would just be doing these like little sh- drag shows also. Um, so I got my start really within the gay community doing shows for ourselves in order to kind of combat the ignorance, the um, invisibility of HIV and AIDS. So it just seemed like a natural fit to continue on in that. Plus, I was, I was also so different from any other comedian then you know, everybody was uh, white, straight, male. So there was some something about needing to talk about my identity, too, within my comedy, which makes you stand out. So if you're a comedian, I think oftentimes your identity is currency. So it made me very wealthy in that because I had a lot to share. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. And how do you think in today's day and age, how do you think sex work has changed? Because I know now in today's day and age, we have things such as like OnlyFans and we have all these different resources that have mm-hmm. almost to an extent, especially within the the gay male uh, arena, has normalized, you know, uh, sex work. So how do you think it has changed? Because I know you talked about sex work being more of a survival thing back in the day. So how do you see the scope of sex mm-hmm. work in today's day and age? I think it's wonderful. I think it gives people a lot of freedom to express themselves and um, to feel joy doing it and make some money, which is really awesome. I really admire the way that people have taken charge and, and, you know, making such great careers for themselves in this industry, which I think is really cool. I think um, it's something that has lost its stigma, although there's still some stigma there. It's really like we're able to rise above it, which I I think is amazing. Well, a conversation that I know that we often have within the community is the fact that now sex workers, especially those that are considered more on the porn star side of things, have become more 
with some type of celebrity status, specifically within the community. And I know an argument that has been talked about lately is that with uh, sex work becoming so normalized, that it is becoming oversaturated, you know, and to, to the point to where they feel like there's too many people that exist in the space. And then that's what makes it actually harder for people to be successful in the field. Do you have any any thoughts mm. on that? Or do you see it as just like the more the merrier? I think it's a marketplace like anything else. So, you know, you have to bring something new and thrilling to market. I, I think that it's still a product that you've got to sell. And so that's sort of like what are you offering and how is it different from what everybody else is offering? Um, is the price competitive? Can you make it feel different? It's all like, I think it's up to um, the consumer mm-hmm. ultimately, but you know, it's also these people are artists. Right. So now it's kind of up to us to create something different and new and exciting. And what, what, what can we do to make it work for us? I love that. I love that. And if you could plan an episode of like the Ricky Lake show or even any talk show or any way that we talk about sex work in uh mainstream media today what are adjustments that you would want people to use in the way that they talk about sex work that wasn't being done in the 90s when the ricky lake show and other shows were talking about sex work i think it's really like how can we make um positive changes and and create some more um advocacy around sex work and to really look at it beyond the lens of shame and look at it as a a practical way for people to make a living and then also to uh make sure that they are protected Mm -hmm. by law you know and having rights and having health insurance insurance um safety which i think is really really important Mm -hmm. it's still illegal to decriminalize sex work is important i think a lot of people have uh, opinions about legalizing it fully because of their own approach to the work. But I think it should definitely be decriminalized. And and certainly um, I want to make a safer environment for people who are experiencing homelessness, who are in a a place where they're using sex work as a a means to survival. You know, how do we make the world safer for them? Uh, There's a lot of issues that I think can be addressed when we remove the shame and stigma from the work itself. Well said. Okay, folks, got to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back in a jiffy. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. 
This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I make documentaries and, uh, you know, I'm pretty open about everything in my life. And uh, you are, too. You know, you are no stranger mm-hmm. to sharing details about your sex mm-hmm. life and your comedy. What what drives you to be so open? I think it's the um, constant evolution of um, my own sexuality and the way that I feel about towards these subjects. But like I um, have identified in different ways right now, I definitely queer but also, I think I'm asexual. Like, I think I've actually gotten to the other side of sex. Mean, like post-menopause? Post-menopause, you... post-romantic feelings, post-love in that romantic love aspect. So wait, explain that. What do you think that is? You think, like, it's a chemical thing that, or a hormonal thing that you just are shut down in that way? I think so, but it's, it's not exactly shut down. It's more open. Mm. It's actually, like, now I'm definitely, like, much more intimate in my relationships, but not necessarily intimate physically. Wow, interesting. Mm. So the intimacy, it really is about the heart and um, coming together in a soul way, Mm. but not in a physical way. So it's a really interesting place to be in because, you know, my mother had a hysterectomy. All of her sisters had hysterectomies like in the 70s. So nobody was immediately there to kind of inform me how my body would change through menopause um, because they all had, this um, artificial menopause, like in their 30s. You know, this is my latest movie. It's my latest documentary. It's the business of birth control. So it's all about it. the hormones. And, yeah. you know, we would love to do a follow up about mm-hmm. menopause. Now, I know, Kaylin, this is so not in your freaking lexicon, wheelhouse, whatever, but I'm just going to say listening. it is such an interesting thing. And there's something to be said for a woman that goes, and I'm still, I, I still get my period, I still get a cycle, even though I'm 54. But menopause is really, if you switch the script on it, it's an amazing time for a woman. The best. For, you know, the best. That's what I mean. And that's, I want to, as I go through it and have ultimately a, a great experience past crossing over to menopause. Yeah. There's something we need to celebrate that our body is not having to take that energy of producing that egg every month. You know, it can really be honed into us, other things. Oh, it's, it's the best thing. It's menopause is the greatest kept secret of life for me. Like I, I realize like my brain is opening up and it's basically puberty again. Absolutely. Yep. And then you age into who you actually are supposed to be when you're no longer regulated by hormonal thoughts or hormonal like actions or any kind of chemical, like you are just yourself. Liberating. It's, it's so liberating, but it's also something that society wants to deny because society hates that women can be more powerful. Exactly. <laughs> they don't want us yeah. to be so powerful. And menopause wow. is real power. Uh, the, the age of the crone is the real, you know, she's the real MVP. And it's really important to embrace that. But society wants us to feel like spinsters or mm-hmm. dried up mm-hmm. or over, but it's actually no, life just starts, starts at this. So it's powerful. 
I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm super I, I, like yeah, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm ready, you know? I'm ready. Okay, so Margaret, I know in your comedy album Drunk with Power, you talk about me and my old show. And, and I don't know if you remember, but it was like mm-hmm. you were uh it, you had lost weight, I guess. What was your journey like going through, you know, that period of being just scrutinized for your body? I remember on that on that that sitcom you were on, you had, were pressured, correct? It was so hard because, you know, we had we had an era of feminism, like there was a riot girl movement and there was like all these like bands with great female vocalists coming out. But we still had this idea of like, mm-hmm. you've got to look like Kate Moss. <laughs> so you're really what hard. year was this, would you say? This is like 94. OK, so the second year of my show. Yeah, 94. Um, very challenging, very challenging to be on television as a woman and to not feel like you could own the space, uh, right. you had to be smaller. And so it's very physically, cha- like my body doesn't go, go that small. So what did you do to, to fit that mold? Oh, I took a lot of Fen-Fen. I did too. <laughs> yep, I'm familiar with Fen-Fen. That drug, which is so bad. Do you know about that, Caitlin? You're nodding your head. You've heard of that drug? Oh, you told us. It was two drugs. Oh, I did two drugs that you took and it was basically speed and it really fucked up a lot of people's hearts, right? There were a lot of complications. Yeah, so bad. But, and they gave it to me and they're like, okay, don't drink when you take this. And when somebody (laughs) says, don't drink when you take this, I hear, drink when you take this. So I was like, so wasted. And um, it really pushed me into a place that was really bad, but I did lose a lot of weight Mm. from that. But it wasn't worth it. I mean, where are you now with you? I mean, you look amazing. I've actually seen like you. Do you? Is it hard for oh. you to maintain where you are now? No, because I don't do anything. I mean, I walk. I have a lot of cats. I've run after them. I'm cleaning up. I have my dog. We walk every day. It's not like a journey that is um, something that I think about very much. But because of that, maybe because my right. shift, the shift in focus on my spiritual life and, you know, um, it, it, it's so like there that I don't really think about that, but, um, I don't know, like it, it's just the, the shift in hormones and shift in focus has really made that a lot easier. Also society has changed, you know, society's approach to the body and especially women's bodies is really shifted because it was so like normalized to fat shame Everybody and anybody who, especially yeah. if it was women who were outspoken, you know, that was so normalized. And so now uh, we have an attitude shift in society, which I think is really valuable. All right. One more question. We spend a lot of time looking back on my show from the 90s. How do you look back at comedy from the 90s? I think I look back at it in a way that's very bittersweet because there, there was a lot of misogyny. There was a lot of homophobia. And racism. That was totally... Acceptable, right? It was just accepted. Acceptable. Yeah. I think that uh, people mourn that. You know, like, oh, you can't make a joke about anything nowadays. Yeah, you shouldn't sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think comedy is um, in a much better place now. I think it's really about skill and finesse and your ability to... Um, create like these these entire castles with your imagination but it doesn't have to put anybody down which i think is really awesome so i think it's a lot better all right thank you so much margaret thank you thank you thank you you. margaret thank you 
Well, that was fun talking to Mar. <laughs> I had so much fun. It was so cool because I've known her for so long and it just is nice to reconnect in this way and really talk about the old show in the 90s and Margaret's awesome. So Ricky, so like we've talked to a lot of people, right? And a lot of people that you've either had a personal relationship with or you've been a fan of or been able to get into contact with. So my question is, now that you look back of all these people that we've re- reconnected with, is there anything that you like has new stuff started to resurface within you of this past life? Because and the reason why I ask you this is because I know the other day we were taping and you were like, I'm starting to realize that maybe I took it for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that there is some truth to that. You know, I think when I was just every every job was just like the next thing that came along and I just jump in and I mm-hmm. give my all. And if it's a hit, it's a hit. If it flops, it flops. Like I move on to the next thing. And the show, you know, I plopped into the show and it just was truly a phenomenon. And I'm in this role as really a very young person who has not had a lot of life experience. And I'm suddenly moderator and host and, you know, therapist and, you know, comedian and like all these skills that I didn't think I had, you know, and certainly didn't train to do. But now, you know, 30 years later, 25 years later, looking back on these episodes and these experiences and these topics we covered, I mean, I'm seeing now that people were really deeply, deeply connected and moved and inspired and learned things. And it's, 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 it's way more positive than I think when I was in it and we were taking heat for being like trash TV and there was a lot of like pushback Mm. and, you know, we were the darling when we first launched and then we were never nominated for an Emmy again. You know, it was kind of like this, this like stain on our, on the, the genre itself and the way we produce the show. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think we did a lot of really powerful work culturally, you know, mm-hmm. for young people to have a voice and to be seen and heard and represented. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have more reverence for that experience and the opportunity. I certainly appreciated the job and the money that came along with it. But I'm just also like, personally, I think I evolved in a way that I would never have without being in that role. You know, mm-hmm. I learned so much about relationships mm-hmm. and people and human nature. And yeah, this this journey has been super, super fun for me. Yeah, I'm learning a lot about myself too, you know, and I, I definitely don't want to go back and do that show again in the same way. But if I did do something, you know, I'm I'm much more of like a full, well-rounded, evolved human than I was back then, you know? I love that. So... I hope you enjoyed it too. I did agree. you have fun, Kaylin? I did. I had the most. Every day with Ricky Lake <laughs> is just pure <laughs> laughter and joy. You are like Christmas every day. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, are you going to be bringing gingerbread when you come to see me? I keep I'm bringing that up. When you say Christmas, somewhere. I think of gingerbread. I know. I'm just kidding. You don't need to bring me anything, some. just yourself. All right, kids, thank you so much for listening. Please, if you like what you're hearing, what do they need to do, Kaylin? Rate, review, and subscribe. Look, I remember. (laughs) Yes, subscribe, and then you'll get the next episode automatically and be a part of our community. Hope you listen next time. Bye. (laughs) Before we go, 
There's more Raised by Ricky with Lemon on a Premium. I love these premium episodes because we do them AMA style, which I recently learned was Ask Me Anything. And coming up on Monday, you asked me what my most memorable fan encounter has been, and holy crap, you won't believe the answer. The only way to hear that is if you subscribe to Lemon on a Premium now in Apple Podcasts. Raised by Ricky with Kaylin Allen is a Lemonada Media original. This show is produced by Chrissy Pease, Mariah Gossett, Nancy Rosenbaum, Claire Jones, and Tiffany Bowie. Our senior director of new content is Rachel Neal. VP of weekly production is Steve Nelson. Executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax, Jessica Cardova-Kramer, and Array McKesson. The show is mixed by Kat Yore. Music is written and produced by Jellybean Benitez, Jason Peralta, and Jay Cutts for Jellybean Productions. Follow Raised by Ricky wherever you get your podcasts or listen ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership. Last Day from Lemonada Media explores the moments that change us. Those times where you look back and say, whoa, one day I was myself and the next I wasn't. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have seen time and time again how sharing these stories can change lives. So, do you have a moment in your life that changed you, fundamentally and forever? What happened? How did you move through it? And how did you eventually start again? If you'd like to share your story, go to bit.ly slash lastdaystories, B-I-T dot L-Y slash lastdaystories. We can't wait to hear from you. Hey, friends, it's Megan Trainer And her big bro, Ryan Trainer And her husband, Daryl Sabara. Each week on our podcast, Working On It, we share behind-the-scenes stories and bring you into our hilarious and heartfelt conversations, and sometimes with amazing guests. We tackle everything from navigating Hollywood to mental health to Megan becoming a mother, Daryl becoming a father, and so much more. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and leave no detail behind. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. Listen to new episodes out every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.